So instead of looking at what do I need to do or say to my child, work on your own personal leadership, work on your own identity. You know, I, I call it the performance trap. What all of us do, just the level varies, is we get up every day and we perform. Uh, you and I are performing right now. We are providing some content for your audience. And the performance is not where the problem comes in. And as you're listening to this, relate this to being a parent. So you perform as a parent. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Today, I get the chance to go deep with an emotional intelligence expert known as the People Builder, executive leadership coach and founder of the People Builders Institute. He has a diploma of executive and leadership coaching from the Coaching Institute and has a number of certifications from credible institutions such as Leadership Management Australia, the Australian Department of Defence, Thought Leaders Global, My Brain International, and the Institute for Social and Emotional Intelligence. With a background in neuroscience, positive psychology, and social and emotional intelligence, he has a focus on empowering today's great technical managers to become exceptional leaders in the VUCA world. His career includes roles in the Australian Army, the National Hire Group, which is now Coates Hire, and Heatcraft Worldwide Refrigeration before becoming self-employed in the professional development industry. I'm honored to introduce to you a genuine down-to-earth human being with five amazing children who loves helping people be their best authentic self. Grant Herbert. Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And look, we we met back in 2019, I think it was, at Speakers Institute Bootcamp. We were put through the ringer um, as we were developing our speaking skills. And there was definitely something that grabbed my attention at that point. And it's been great to to stay connected with you and follow you over the last couple of years um, and see you continue to evolve in different ways. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And same same here. You know, I just think back to that time that we had together and uh, it was a little bit different to uh, what I see with you uh, as well. And congratulations on uh, the new baby. It's certainly a very fulfilling part of life to have a child. 
Yeah, 100%. And I can learn a lot from you since <laughs> you have five of them, including twins, which we were talking about earlier, which uh, maybe that'll come up later on. Uh, but for me, I'd really like to know, you know, what was childhood like for you? Where did you grow up? And kind of what was, what was kind of flowing through your mind a lot during those times? Yeah, so um, I grew up uh, in an environment that was uh, not always a happy one. And I, you know, often get to share my story around my childhood and how it affected me or how I allowed it to affect me uh, in later life. And it now has become a powerful resource that I'm able to be vulnerable with, to share with others. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you come from. It's what all those experiences that you went through mean to you and how you navigate those in the other areas of your life as you go as you go forward. So um, my mum and dad were uh, amazing people and it wasn't until you know my dad passed away that I got to find out things that went on in his life that answered a lot of questions. And for me, instead of looking at my childhood as being something that was bad, I now look at the growth that it instilled in me uh, as a human being. And I know that I wouldn't have been able to do what I do all around the world if I hadn't have had those experiences. So I was one of five children as well. So I replicated that. And I was the second eldest, uh, had an elder sister, and that was always fun. Um, she was a great buddy, but she also got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've still got a, a fantastic relationship today. Uh, I had a couple of younger sisters and then uh, eight years gap between me and my younger brother. So we lived up in the Hunter Valley uh, predominantly. Uh, up in the the scone area for the major part of my life going through you know school and into high school um etc but we tended to move around a lot uh before that and that taught me a lot of a lot of things as well but yeah look when i was 15 i found out something about my life that happened when i was a child that i allowed to define me and that was really the start of the journey in me wanting to be able to not only improve my own life, but I've been able to use that story to help others. And uh, look, at, I'm happy to to share part of that if it if it's pertinent as well. Yeah, because we, you know, people talk about we are a product of our environment, and and obviously, yes, we are, but we get to determine. We don't allow that to dictate who we are we should allow that to shape who we are and, and be able to learn from those um, I, I think look you know if you are okay it'd be great to understand because i think as as people as leaders uh, around the world we we need to be authentic with ourselves and you know it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to go back and see what sort of experiences shaped our lives in you know, have we dealt with it? And if we have dealt with it, how has that shaped us to be a better human being? Yeah, I totally agree, Craig. And, you know, vulnerability is sometimes seen still by leaders as 
a weakness. And I see that particularly in what I'm calling now the super VUCA world, we've gone beyond VUCA, um, I see vulnerability as being one of the greatest strengths of a leader. And in everything that I do, my development with other people is always an experiential journey, not an information one. And just by being able to can keep it about them, but tell this story, I've been able to help uh, you know, lots of people. So I'm, I'm happy to share it. So when I was 15, I found out that when I was a baby, six month old, my mum took me and put me on a doorstep and left me and went home. When I found out about that at 15, I had a pity party for about 30 years. (laughs) And even though, you know, I agree with what you say today, I did identify who I was and determine who I was based on that. And I made some decisions around who I was that then manifested in poor behavior and uh, non-resourceful behavior moving forward. So Look, the, the end of the story is my dad came home from work, asked where I was, and he went down there and I was still on the doorstep. So once again, that was another thing. I went, well, hang on. I wasn't just not good enough for my mum. I wasn't good enough for the people she left me with either. Oh. You know, and dad brought me home. So the real story, though, and this is where the power comes in being able to help other people, because if you're listening to this podcast, you know, your story is different to mine. But the purpose of storytelling is for you to put yourself in the story with your content, not mine. Mm. So what really happened is my mum had postnatal depression. Now, I'm 60, so back then they didn't even use that term. They didn't really, you know, be too concerned about that stuff. They said, well done, you've got a baby, go home, do your best. And in my mum's current mental state, she didn't feel like as if she could give me the life she wanted to give me. You see, what I made it mean was that my mother didn't love me. Surely a mother who puts her child on a doorstep doesn't love the child. So that was my belief that I took in. Therefore, nursed and rehearsed, that became you are unlovable. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because a lot of times what happens is when we behave to avoid things happening, our subconscious behavior actually gives us the opposite. So when we're not wanting to be rejected, our behavior sometimes can reject people. So the truth of the matter was my mum loved me so much that she was willing to give me up to allow me to have the life that she wanted to have. Now, there were two meanings there, Craig. And I chose the one that lined up with where I was feeling about myself at that age anyway. I already thought I was worthless, that I wasn't lovable, that I wasn't any good. You know, I was uh, in high school, went to high school early. I was academically smart, but I was like really short. And up until uh, that age, I was still under five foot. So I had all these things going on about not being worthy, et cetera. So the fact that I found out this story about what my mum had done, that lined up perfectly. That was another evidence that I took on to say, yeah, you're right, Grant. You're no good. You're not worthy. So the behavior going on forward from that in the 30-year pity party meant that I did whatever I could to 
prove that I was good enough to get the love that I thought I wasn't worthy of. And yeah, definitely in my uh, military career, in my corporate career, and even into the initial stages of people builders that I started 15 years ago, I was operating out of that. And definitely the meaning that I put on that, the belief that I took on, it was the foundation for everything that I thought and everything that I did. Oh, wow. I, I talk about, you know, having a child is my greatest leadership journey is about to commence. And this is where I truly get put to task. Can I actually be a real leader? Because I think what happens throughout our formative years has a massive influence on our lives. And it's really, really important to ensure that we're able to shape those lives for those for our next generation to you know, ensure that they're in a position where when they're making meaning of certain things that they don't get lost in that space of hitting down um, what may not be as positive uh, for them long term. And I'm not, and I'm sure that's not that easy because we all we all make meaning of things. We all have a different version of something that happens in life. You know, like we, we we create our own story. We create our own perception of it. Um, so from the work that you've done, and obviously from that life experience, do you have sort of any ways or techniques that could support um, you know the parents on this call around how they can support the the younger like the, the children when they're growing up to try and avoid some of these stories that that they put in their head that can be quite debilitating over a period of time. Yeah, look, certainly and. The first thing I want to do, though, to frame that up is let people know that we're all on what I call a journey of imperfection, right? Perfection's never the goal. It's uh, sometimes a sabotage strategy that we run. I'll try and be perfect, and then we end up doing nothing. However, just in day-to-day life, and particularly with parenting, and I'm glad that I get this opportunity to share this with you, um, the old dad helping the new dad, (laughs) is to not define yourself by your ability as a parent either, because that's just another opportunity to have unhealthy expectations. There's a a passage in the Bible that says, and it's one of, you know, uh, a few that I can remember. It says, train a child up in the way they should go. And in their old age, they won't depart from it. And what I've taken from that is do your best. Mm. Because one of the things that I do a lot when I'm dealing with people like later in their life in the executive coaching I do, and some of these people are, you know, in their you know, late 40s, 50s, 60s, very high positions, is helping them to realize, just like I had to, that it's not what your parents did that determines your success. There's a time in your life where you draw a line in the sand (laughs) and uh, take responsibility for your own life and your own behavior. So coming back with that framed up, yeah, it's just a matter of working firstly on you. So instead of looking at what do I need to do or say to my child Work on your own personal leadership. Work on your own 
identity. You know, I, I call it the performance trap. What all of us do, just the level varies, is we get up every day and we perform. Uh, you and I are performing right now. We are providing some content for your audience. And the performance is not where the problem comes in. And as you're listening to this, relate this to being a parent. So you perform as a parent. And performing is what you do. The challenge is not in the performance. It's in the motive for which you perform. And yeah. a lot of times it's to get some sort of external validation, to get approval, in this case, from your child, from your parents, your in-laws, other, whatever. So while ever a performance is about getting other people to approve and accept you, that's where the challenge comes in. Because I'm sure, Craig, you've done something in your life that you thought was the best possible thing you could have done, and at least one person might not have thought it was good enough. Mm. And with that, I can reconcile that there's no guarantee that you're going to get that approval. So what happens then is that getting the approval or not determines how you feel about yourself. And I call that your identity. So your performance is what you do, but your identity is who you believe you are and who you believe you're not. So you do something well, people tell you that you're great and you feel a bit better about yourself. But then you get some people who don't like it and you feel less than. So that whole identity gets eroded. And you talked about authenticity and I totally agree. Authenticity is about being who you really are. And I remember back in my early days, I'd forget who I was pretending to be. I had to remember. And being my true self humble, teachable, but this is who I am. That's the easiest gig on the planet. It's There's no thinking, or who, who was I pretending to be when I was with Craig last time so that he approved of me? <laughs> so being your authentic self is way less exhausting. Realizing that you haven't got it all together as a parent, as a coach, whatever it is that you do. Now, here's the key. Work on your identity. Take that on as your own responsibility to work through any limiting or false beliefs that you have, to work through your internal dialogue, what I love to call your mini-me. Get that under control and invest in yourself in your personal development and your personal leadership. And out of that, get yourself to a position where you approve of yourself. Mm. So start with self-approval. And here's the key. Once you get to that position of self-approval, and for me, I, I always language that as I can look in the mirror metaphorically and physically and go, I'm okay with who I am and I'm okay with who I'm becoming. I, I've still got some rough edges and I'm still working on these things, but I'm okay with that. I approve of who I am. The difference then, whether it's being a parent or, you know, leading an organization or whatever you're doing is to perform out of a position of self-approval. And it might sound like semantics, but let me tell you, in my own life and in the lives of many people around the world that I've been able to work with, it makes the difference. Mm -hmm. Because now you're going into everything that you do as a parent 
to do your best. You're not going there to get validation from other people. So that for me, Craig, would be my key encouragement for you as a new parent is to cut yourself some slack and just learn on the go. Because here's the thing, your beautiful little baby doesn't have a script. Oh, they don't. No. <laughs> and and whatever you do or whatever book you read and all these things that we've got right whatever advice you take from others about the you know the role of parenting they don't have the script they haven't read the book and sometimes when things do go astray when they when they're little but then also when they when they grow up mm-hmm. what we make that mean about our own ability and here's the, I'll give you a little example i remember with my youngest kids, uh, my my twins, a boy and a girl, two minutes apart, but Tegan was my baby. And she used it to her advantage. And Isaac also used the fact that he was the older brother. But I remember when I first started People Builders, um, they were very young. And my wife was still working in retail at that point. So now that I had the uh, ability to work from home, a lot of the time I, I was taking the, you know, getting the kids ready for school and all that sort of stuff. And I remember Tegan would be in her room and she'd be mucking around, <laughs> being a little girl as she was supposed to be, you know, and Isaac was already ready for school and he's a bit like me. He's, he's an early person. He gets stuff done. And I remember that I'd go start off with going, hey, Tegi come on, we need to get going. And to the point where I would let that go on for a while. And then I get to the point where it'd be Tegan, hurry up. And I would come across a little bit abruptly. And that was upsetting for her. Now, the reason I tell you that story, or firstly, the reason why that happened was that I had to drop them at school and then go on to a client So what I was making that mean was if I'm late for that client, they're going to think that I'm not good enough. So that whole pattern was playing out again. So what I did was that situation then in my mind, my internal dialogue was saying, Tegan is going to make me late. So instead of being who I wanted to be, the soft, gentle father encouraging his child, this other persona came out. Now, here's the thing. Anyone that's ever yelled at their child knows that 14 milliseconds later, you get this horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach, you know, to, and you start putting yourself down about it. You feel bad about it. Now, the problem with that is you've now eroded your identity even more and the foundation for you doing better later is, you know, is not there so the difference then became and this is the key i yelled at my child that's what i did nursed and rehearsed though that becomes therefore i am a bad father Mm. this is guilt the first one this is shame and that's a total different emotion and that then chips away at your own self-worth so long story i hope you got something out of that and i hope your listeners did as well just be you and work on anything that you've got going on where you might feel less than 
Does that help? <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, Grant. Uh, uh, firstly, start with one thing. One, um, I didn't read a single book. I didn't even watch a single video before the baby was born. The way <laughs> I see it, there's 8 billion people on this planet. Probably at least half of them were born in a cave, a tent on the side of the road with no medical help and no books or anything like that. Uh, and there's been plenty of people before him. Um, we actually, when we got to the uh, got to the maternity ward, and we because like the waters broke the night before, and then we got there in the morning, and they said because they said come in at eight o'clock, so we walk in there, and they go, can you have look go and have a seat in the lounge? So we go sit in the lounge, and that was the first time Julie pulled out this wad of paper she hadn't even read most of them either, and <laughs> I started, I went okay, better have a quick look here. So I went C-section, okay, not important yet. Um, <laughs> there's all these other ones, not important, and I went okay, four stages of labour, maybe I should know that one, and maybe if we need pain killers you know what what are they what are the options and that was if it. we if we need painkillers yeah, correct because <laughs> my mate's always saying hey look if she if she's got the gas there you, you got to make sure you have at least half of it <laughs> um we didn't need any of it which was which is wonderful but you know there's a couple of things here and i think obviously for people listening who aren't parents you know this advice is no different whether you're parenting or you're leading or you're managing or whatever you're doing it is it's it's common sense things that apply across the board now they may be common sense but as we know in this world common sense doesn't always prevail and so we, we do make meanings we're human we do make mistakes we and that's okay and i think that's really important uh something else that came up in here which i thought was really interesting and uh malcolm gladwell and i'm sure you know him really really well famous for a number of different books um along the way and, and if anyone doesn't know him please please do a google search but he did some work around um, that came out around 10,000 hours. Now, some people misinterpreted what that actually means, um, but it was talking about, you know, like it takes 10,000 hours to be able to not, not really perfect something, but re be a real high performer at something. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go, go along with that. And so we've always talked about, you know, it's not just 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 experiments. But you talked about the next phase, which I love as well, is it's 10,000 exposures. And so not only do you need to put hours into developing and cultivating something to be really good at something, um, and by the way, it's not exactly 10,000 hours. You could do it in 3,000 hours. You could do it in 30,000 hours, but um, it was just based on, a, on some research they did. Um, but yeah, the ability to experiment. So it's being able to try things, and I think that's why I, I feel it's so important people in their 20s to go out and not just go straight into, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer and just be a lawyer. Like go and experiment a few other things to broaden your skill sets. Um, but those exposures, you know, whether it's be exposures in different cultures, exposures, um, you know, in different workplaces, ex um, exposures to different things, but not just going through it, but actually, you know, thinking about, okay, what does happen there? And, and maybe try and understand it a little bit as well. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting just to come out of uh, what we talked about there. So, yeah, really cool. A anything you'd like to add, like, on that whole 10,000 hours, 10,000 experiments, 10,000 exposures type approach? Yeah, look, uh, certainly. Statistics, quantifying with numbers, et cetera, is fantastic. But I always I always look at statistics, for example, and I think, well, it didn't ask me. So it's it's never going to be accurate, right? And and it, it wasn't actually Malcolm Gladwell, and I and I, I know he talked about it in his Correct. books, you know, even before it talked about 10,000 hours to mastery. Mm. But the key for me there always is uh, to have consistency, 
That's it. Right? So, uh, you know, others talk about 21 days to form a habit. Some people say 60 days, all that sort of stuff. No, what it is, is long enough, consistently enough to rebuild a neural pathway in your brain that's stronger than the one that you were working from. Oh, 100%. And that, and that's the whole key. I'm in a, I'm a neuroscience nerd. I absolutely love neuroscience. I have a neuroscientist on our faculty at the People Builders Institute because um, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not actually a neuroscientist. But, and, and I think sometimes too, people can, when they're doing the sort of work that I do, they can confuse their, uh, their clients, their team, whoever they're working with by going too deep into it because any science is just what we know currently it's not a it's not an exact thing but yeah just being able to as you said expose yourself and make mistakes you know mistakes can be your greatest teachers if you filter them through self-approval as i've already said mm. so if a mistake happens uh, i.e., uh, I'm just going to make stuff up here, not not that I ever did anything like this. I didn't put the nappy on properly, and then when number twos happened, it all went down the leg. I've right? done that. <laughs> yeah, I've done it too, right? So instead of going, I'm not good at putting on nappies, being able to look at it and go, oh, okay, how could I do that? differently i'm huge on language and i have become the language nazi over the last five or so years all right it's like manage your emotions no stop telling people to manage something that is a natural thing manage if you're going to manage something your response to it and manage the behavior the word better is used a lot and that's why I put the emphasis on a different word there. In fact, it was different um, because when we say better, how can I do it better next time? That makes a judgment that it wasn't good enough the first time. All these things I've found are so important. And I always tell people who are doubters, just try it and prove me wrong. And they always come back to me and go, it works. Mm -hmm. Remember that ad years ago that was on television for, I think it was for a toothpaste and the kid, like the, the teacher was doing the experiment, she dipped a, a chalk into some blue liquid and she broke it open and there was blue rings inside the chalk and the child goes, oh, Mrs. Marsh, it does get in, right? So it's a matter of do the experiment and come back and realize that it works, right? So judgment words, we use them all the time, uh, whether we're talking about parenting or leadership in any area of our life. And they can be very damaging because what goes in is what comes out. Mm -hmm. So the word that goes along with that is the word should. So people telling you or you telling you, you should do this and you should do that. And we've all heard, you know, people say you should all over yourself and whatever. But let's, but let's look at that as language and go, okay, should is a judgment word again. So what I want to do is look in all these things, what could I say differently that's not a judgment word that's an opportunity word mm. so whenever you look at a mistake right and I, I i don't go to the point of view of going well let's not call them mistakes let's like let's call them opportunities to learn i think sometimes we can i can be a little bit pedantic on that but go what could 
I do differently moving forward? What could I do differently next time? And for me, the difference that conversation has with yourself, because our brain listens to what we say more than what anyone else says, right? It says opportunity. It says it's okay that you didn't get it where you wanted it this time. How could you do it differently moving forward? So for me, that's really, really important is to look at the language, look at the way we talk to ourselves. We, as human beings, talk to ourselves worse than any other person on the planet talks to us. I don't know. Do you find that? Oh, we have, is it what, 60,000 approximately thoughts a day or ideas a day going through our head. So um, you definitely have more chance to, to damage uh, or or create some positivity inside your mind at this um, throughout a day. So you're 100%. I want to pull back to, you know, you talked about that childhood time, that, that 15-year-old self. And obviously had a, a profound effect on your life for many, many years and has, has really shaped who you are and how you help humankind nowadays. Was there a role model in your life that had quite an impact on your life in a, in a positive way? And whether it be 15 or kind of through those next few years. Yeah, it's an interesting question and I'd need to answer it this way. So... A role model, once again, is of its greatest value, depending on how you filter what you see. And so what am I saying there? What I'm saying is that sometimes we can look at, sometimes I could look at people in a comparative way. Mm -hmm. And they might be a great role model as a parent, for example. That's what we were talking about. And if I'm looking at who they are and how they're better than me, then that role model can actually be detrimental to my parenting. But if I can look at the things that they do differently to me and learn from that totally different ball game. So what we're talking about there is the difference between a logical process and an emotional process in our brain. So even asking questions like what, you know, what do they do that gets them the results? So it's more auditing rather than asking, oh, why, you know, why do they get a that result and I only get this and, and what have you? So having said that, nowadays I can look at my dad and I can go, he was an amazing role model. Mm. However, if I looked at it when I was 15, that's a total different lens that I was looking through then. You know, a person that stands out for me, and there's been a number of people, and in terms of, you know, role models, mentors in my life, I have uh, many of them and have had many of them over my years in different areas of my life. And I had uh, a really good uh, friend of mine who was one of my pastors who has... Uh, you know, left the world uh, a couple of years ago now. And he had a, you know, he, he was married for f over 40 years and, you know, and, and he just, he wasn't perfect and he never tried to be perfect and he was always teachable. 
However, he could speak into my life and give me sound advice and it was things that I could implement and it was non-judgmental. So he was a really, really big mentor uh, for me uh, in my life. I was blessed to travel with he and his wife uh, to Africa and to do work in in missions in in Africa and some speaking in Africa. And it was you know, just any opportunity that I had to uh, invest time with him uh, was, was fantastic. Another leader that I've never met that I love to aspire to and I love taking things from is His Holiness the Dalai Lama. I look at his life and I go, this guy was born into something that he didn't ask for. He was persecuted. He was exiled from his own country and many other things, right? People were trying to kill him all the time. Yet when you listen to him, when he talks to people, all you hear and feel is joy and love and peace and it all comes across. That was a huge lesson for me. Um, Reverend Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama uh, uh, co-wrote a book, or in fact, they had a, a ghostwriter that travelled with them to write the book, and it's called um, The Book of Joy, I think it's called. And, yeah, if you haven't read it, it's a really, really great read. But just going through that and put aside whether you're, you know, Christian, Buddhist or what, it's got nothing to do with, the you know, the religious side of it. Just an amazing role model for someone who could be, persecuted and still live the life the way that they do. You know, Jesus Christ is another example of that, right? Um, and I always say to people, don't want to be perfect. There's only ever been one perfect person on the planet and they cru crucified him. So I don't want to be perfect. But yeah, these there are role models that are afar through reading and listening to, etc. And I've had some role models in my life. And I've also had some role models that have also helped me with the negative beliefs and have also taught me what I could do differently in the way that I led my team. So yeah, that, uh, hopefully I've answered your question somewhere in there, but uh, definitely the Dalai Lama sticks out for me. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. Now moving more into your corporate, yeah, uh, your life, not, not so much in corporate, but you know, your life, uh, owning your own business and sort of in the recent years. And you, you know, when you did a lot of traveling to Singapore, India, and, and other parts around Australia and, and potentially the world as well that I may not be aware of, uh, leading into COVID and, you know, that's obviously quite an abrupt change for many people around the world and maybe even for yourself as well. And so when the pandemic arrived, you know, for someone like you who's, who's done a lot around neuroscience and emotional, social, you know, learning and behavior and things like that and intelligence, how did that affect you when it first arrived? Or, or were you able to just carry on as Grant Herbert, no, no changes, I, I've got this and everything just keeps going? Yeah, so definitely a little bit of the former. And uh, one thing that I always like to do is make sure that I'm not speaking in a dichotomy. And, and this is another challenge in leadership sometimes. You know, it's either uh, I've got it or I haven't got it, right? So for me, I was sort of a little bit in the middle of that and it would fluctuate. So let me explain that. So the 
five or six years before the pandemic, yeah, I was out of the country nearly every month, uh, at least once. And uh, I remember there was one trip that I did in 2018, I think it was, where I, it might have even been 2019, where I went from Sydney to Dubai. I came back to Sydney and then flew to India five days later. Now, I already know that people are thinking, why didn't you just go from Dubai to India? Because I had to come back and do some work in Sydney with clients. So I went to India and did three cities in India. And then I flew back to Sydney via Singapore, did some work in Singapore. And then two weeks later, I went to Chennai in India and then flew to Singapore and then flew back. And I think there was a overnight flight somewhere in amongst all that from Kolkata to Singapore. And then I did two speaking gigs that day in Singapore without any sleep after being on the red eye. And then when I got back to Sydney, I flew to New Zealand and did some work in New Zealand. And then I came home. I was exhausted. Mm. And I went to the doctor because I wasn't feeling well. And he, he sort of laughed with me and said, just look at what you did in that period. No wonder your body is going. It's time for a break. Yeah. And I tell you that because COVID, when I looked at it through the right lens, was a great thing for me because I have totally shifted in what I do and what I'll say yes to. But I flew back into Sydney. I'd been in the Solomon Islands doing uh, a three-day emotional intelligence workshop for some heads in the Solomon Islands. And I flew back via Fiji and I landed on the 1st of March, 2020. And I didn't go anywhere, as you know, like for a couple of years later. And what I had done, I realized in those times when I was feeling not so good about it, is I had built my identity around my ability to travel. Mm. So therefore, now it's been taken away from me. Questions are going on in the internal dialogue. Well, who am I now? And I know when we think of this logically and in retrospect, we can go, well, that's a really silly way of thinking, but that's the way the internal dialogue goes. Financially, I lost gigs left, right, and center. And there was, so there was, there was that word that I seldom use now, but there was the pivot that I had to do as well and all those things, right? And there's now pivoting back and, you know, different things happening. However, the biggest challenge for me and the biggest challenge in the work that I was doing with and continue to do with people in the pandemic and post the pandemic is in the mind. It's what do you make that mean? That's what I said right at the start of this. You know, it's not what happens to you. It's what you make it mean. So if I made it mean that I am now this person or I'm not this person because I'm not able to travel or because there's a, you know, a pandemic on or, or whatever, then that's where the problem's going to come because my thinking is that I've lost something about me. I'm not who I used to be. So that was my biggest challenge. So my encouragement has always been to um, everyone as I work with them, you know, throughout the pandemic, 
is who I am didn't change. In fact, what I do didn't change. How I did it was the only thing that changed. Mm. Now, prior to the pandemic, I had already uh, put a lot of the work that I did. I like using the reverse classroom, so I put a lot of the work that I did into online self-paced learning in courses that then I would do group coaching and training and development with um, for the implementation. So thankfully I had that already and, you know, I could pretend that I'm smart and go, I anticipated what was going to happen, but that would be a lie. Um, I was just lucky that I'd done that and I was ready to do that. So it was just a matter of tweaking and adjusting how I did things that allowed me to get my mindset where it needed to be. You know, the pandemic, could have taken me out a couple of times and I nearly let it. And it started up in my in my thinking. You know, I tell people all the time, I'm an emotional intelligence subject matter expert. I'm a work in progress in its implementation every single day. You know, people that are out there that do what I do that are coaches uh, in particular, the part of the work that I do is in coaching. You know, they think, well, now that I'm a coach, and you could put this into leader as well, right? I have to have it all together. And that's far from the truth, right? So, you know, doing a course and doing some coaching um, makes you no more perfect than standing in your garage will make you a car. Uh, it's just a part of the journey. Mm. So, what I like to help people to do is shift their language around that and what, the way they're thinking. Are you looking at what's been taken from you or are you looking at the opportunity in a different way? How can you do what you were already doing differently? Mm. And for me, I think the problems of the pandemic, and I'm talking about behaviorally because that's what I do, the underlying root causes of all issues in leadership, whether it's personal leadership or people leadership, have not changed. No. They've just manifested in a different way. They've been exacerbated by the speed of change, by, as I'm calling it, the super VUCA world. For those who may not have heard of VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. The business world stole it from the military uh, a, few years a few years ago to explain what's going on. Well, who understands that that's happening like on steroids right now. So yeah, that's that's really how it how I let it affect me, but then how what I'm able to do nowadays by using the strategies that I teach, I'm able to bring myself back into alignment. See there's two voices. Well, most of the time there's only two. There's two voices going on in my head. Not your wife's as well. <laughs> no, I mean the, the the other, you know, over the years, I'm sure there's uh, been plenty of voices going on, but there's two that I want to talk about here. There's my mini me as I call it. But then there's my big me. Mm. Mini me wants to keep me safe, wants to remind me of my insecurities and the times that I've got things wrong so that I don't do ridiculous things and move outside my comfort zone. But then I've got my big voice that's got my pants on around the right way and is encouraging and is pulling me towards what it is that I need to become so that I can help who it is that I'm destined to help. And it's a matter of just being able to recognize which voice is talking and then snap out of it, snap. And 
it'll take me two minutes, but if we've got the time, I would love to leave your listeners with a practical way of reprogramming that inner dialogue. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So, and it's not because we started off talking about being parents and babies and whatever, but I love to use the metaphor of a two-year-old. So if you're listening to this right now, and I know we can't see each other, I want you to put your hand up if at some point in your life you were a baby. You know someone that was a baby or you know someone that's got a baby. And that's pretty well all of us, I hope. Now, what I want you to do is think about a two-year-old child. Now, imagine that a two-year-old child, imagine one of my grandkids, they're all past two now, and I've used them all as an example in this. But let's imagine that one of my grandkids came to my door right now. And even though I've committed to doing this with Craig, my grandchild goes, Grandpa, Grandpa. And imagine if I just showed them the hand and ignored them and kept talking to you, Craig. What do you think they would do? Oh, they'd be annoyed. <laughs> they'd probably get and what sort of behavior would come out, do you think? Um, probably negative. Um, it would be they'll try and attack, uh, attract attention, so it'll be disruptive. Yeah, exactly right. And I'll tell you why. Because from the time my grandchild could talk, I had taught them that all they needed to do was say my name and everything else in the world just paled into insignificance and they had my attention. And that, my friends, is exactly what we do to our internal dialogue, our mini-me. Because we've trained our internal voice, our mini-me, as I said, to keep us safe, to think this about us, to remind us when, for example, if we talk about speaking, when we do something silly like walk up on a stage with 10,000 people in front of us, Remind us to go, where are you going? <laughs> We're not going to do that. We don't speak to people. What if they don't like us? All those conversations. Now, if we do that to the mini-me as well and just show it the hand and just keep doing it, it's going to do exactly what Craig said. Just like my grandchild, it's going to do whatever it needs to do to get my attention because I've taught it to do that. Now, I guarantee that with my grandchildren, that they'd be up on my lap, they'd be pulling at my leg, my ear, whatever, to get my attention. Now, if I did it differently and I went, hey, whichever grandkid it was, and I invited them over and I sat them on my lap, I said, hey, meet Craig and gave them the attention that they wanted. And then I said, hey, I'm going to talk to Craig for a little bit longer and then you and I are going to get an ice cream. So if you just sit here and wait with grandpa, we'll do that. The behavior is going to be different. Now, it's a metaphor, people. We all know that a, to uh, a two-year-old, uh, the next 10 seconds means that, okay, time up, we're, we're going to get an ice cream, but work with me. So the difference is now, what I've done is I've given my grandchild certainty that I heard them, that they are important, that what I said to them about getting my attention was true. But what I've done is I've given them another 
thing to learn, another thing to think about. And that's exactly the same thing with the mini-me. So the mini-me starts talking instead of covering your ears and going, blah, 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 I'm not listening to you. And it's just going to get louder and louder and louder. Go, okay, I hear you. Thank you for reminding me of that. I did ask you to teach me that and to tell me that. But what I want you to do is watch now because we're going to do something different and I want you to learn this. Now, by the way, and if you're listening to this, obviously you're not seeing my hand signals, but I even used to, and I get people to do it if they feel the need to, I even show them the hand. I put my hand up. Now, once again, you've got to have a healthy identity to do that because people will be thinking, is this guy talking to himself? But whatever you need to do, give them the certainty. Give that voice the certainty that you heard it and then teach it something new. Then do whatever the new thing is. Think whatever the new thought is. The beauty of the brain through neuroplasticity is that we can rebuild neural pathways through stronger synaptic connections and repeating that over and over that when initially we might respond or react a certain way when something happens, we can now do it differently. And we don't erase all those other voices and all those other neural pathways. They're, they're still in the brain, but these new neural pathways are the ones that we hear now, the ones that we respond in that way. So exactly the same as getting a two-year-old child and giving them the support and love that they need to let you do what it is that you need to do, that's how we reprogram our mini-me. And let me tell you, when you start to do this, and I really encourage you to do this, no matter whether you're leading just yourself or whether you're leading the biggest organization in the world, I know you have an internal dialogue that could have some work done with it. When you start shifting the dialogue, it's going to fight back. It's going to go, why are you listening to this gray-haired gentleman from Sydney, Australia? He hasn't got any idea. Stop doing that. And sometimes it's going to be two steps forward, one step back. But just like Craig talked about with the 10,000 hours and we talked about consistency, it's a matter of having this positive reinforcing voice and the consistency in that going longer and more prominent than that smaller voice for long enough for you to shift and make the change. No, very good. Very, very good. I, I like the way you explain that. And I think it's really, really important um, to be able to acknowledge the voice. And, you know, quite often we'll try and avoid it. It's like, it's like stress or pressure. You know, you should never create an aversion to pressure or what you think is pressure because pressure is an internal thing anyway. It's not actually, unless I stand on you. Um, <laughs> um, so it's, it's an external thing. So if you try and avoid that, then you're going to have that's how it's going to affect you because it will just keep nagging at you it'll keep it'll keep the the feeling will get tighter and, and firmer but if you actually lean into it then you take control of it and that's what i like about what you're doing there is that acknowledgement something that's kind of shining shining through at the moment we've we've seen jacinda ardern recently resign as new zealand prime minister and she was put on a pedestal very, very early in her career as a prime minister, uh, as someone, and she's taught a lot of great lessons that I think now, because of who she was and the platform she had, is now creating a lot of people going down that path of, we need more compassionate leaders, we need leading with kindness, 
leading from strength, things like that, which is you know, really, really powerful and a great legacy she has left in that space. But if we look at her, how she's come out of what's just happened, her legacy has been tarnished in a way, in, in people's perceptions or the way it's been put out there in the world. And, and the rest of the world may not see this. If you're in New Zealand, you definitely will. Where leadership is extremely difficult. And I think that's her biggest lesson she's taught us. Leadership is really, really tough because yes, you can be a kind leader. Yes, you can lead from strength. Yes, you can be compassionate. But unless you get things done and you deliver on your promises, then does it actually make you a great leader that people trust and respect and want to follow? And so I'm really curious here because you do a lot of work in emotional and social intelligence. And how should people take this work? Because it's extremely important how do you understand yourself and others in the moment. But it's not the only thing that comes in leadership. And, and, and the reason why people will respect and trust you and, and want to continue following you long term. So how should people... Uh, what, what, what place does emotional and social intelligence play in, in people as a human being or as a leader? Okay, so I'm glad you asked me that rather than get into a conversation around politics and uh, etc. Um, okay, so here's, here's what I look at. And we had a conversation about this offline before we started. Unfortunately, what I've seen over the years, and I've been in leadership development for 60 years now um, because I've, I'm a leader of one when I first started, um, but what I've seen is leadership has been relegated to a set of skills that you need when you want to tell people what to do, mm -hmm. right? When you get them to do stuff. And I think we really missed the mark by looking at that. So therefore, first thing that comes out of that is, oh, I only need to learn to be a leader when I've got a team. So what I like to do is remind myself and others that leadership is a set of internal characteristics of the leader, of a person. So what I do firstly is break leadership down into three areas, personal leadership, professional leadership, and people leadership. So in answering your question of what they could do, it goes back to what I was talking about before. It starts with the personal leadership. It starts with building the foundation of who you are because everything that you believe about yourself comes out in your leadership behavior when you're working with others. Unfortunately, a lot of organizations around the world that I've uh, worked with, they want me to come and they want to deal with the people leadership side of things, whether it be you know communication effectiveness or conflict management or whatever it is. And I say, look, I could do that. However, unless you work on the person of the leader, the way they see themselves, others in the world is going to determine the level of success that they have in being able to utilize the strategies and the processes that I teach them over here. So for me, for example, if you look at the story that I was telling, the fact that I felt unworthy meant that in the corporate, in my corporate life, I either didn't speak up or when I did, it was abrupt and it came out of frustration. 
So people leadership, and I, I like to break everything I do down in as a journey. It makes it easy for me to to teach and to remember. More importantly, for people to you know step through it. So I work on three areas in the personal leadership area. I work on your identity, and that's the foundation. That's the key. And we've talked a lot about that today. And then I work on intelligence and going in each of these, I like to uh, take people on a transformational shift. So it's going from, you know, IQ and technical ability alone to multiple intelligence and looking at not just your emotional and social intelligence, but things like creative intelligence and realizing there's more to you than what you know and what you do, right? And then the third area is around their intention and, you know, having a plan for their life, not just uh, working day to day and those sort of things, right? Um, then we move into the professional area, which is more about the skills of what I need so that I can do the technical aspects of my role. So I work on performance, I work on positioning, I work on productivity. Then we get into the people leadership area, which is I, I do a lot of work around resilience, around relationships and around results. And that's a key one because the shift there is going from, the professional leadership area of me getting stuff done and and that's all I'm bringing to how do I get results now? So I go from do to through. And that's a big area, as you know, that leaders find a challenge with, you know, delegation, all that sort of stuff. So all that was to be able to come back to your, your question and go, where does emotional and social intelligence fit in? Well, it fits in as the foundation mm. because who you think you are, and and of the 26 competencies that I work on, the number one competency that underpins all the other 25 is personal power. This is your ability to know that you've got everything within you and around you to be who you need to be to get ahead in life. It's your self-worth, your self-confidence, you know, all those limiting beliefs and all those sort of things. We shift those. So the reason why it's so important as a human being, as you said, is exactly that. We are emotional beings, so we need to learn how to notice, name, and navigate our emotions because they're all going to come up. You, know, I, I, you may have heard this as well. I've heard it many times where people go, oh, my dad taught me to leave my emotions at the door. Or you might have a leader tell you that, oh, just stop being emotional. Leave your emotions at the door. Well, it's impossible, right, to do that because you're an emotional being. And it has. so that's why it has such a dramatic effect. Uh, thankfully, and it took a pandemic, but thankfully, now the publications that people listen to are saying that emotional intelligence is the number one or number two skill that every leader needs moving you know, now and moving forward. I, I, I've known that for years. In my corporate career, I didn't know there was such a thing as emotional intelligence. When I discovered it about 15 years ago, I did find out one thing, though. I realized that I didn't have any. <laughs> but these are the skills of the person. So everything that you do as a leader, and you talked about trust, and you talked about you know decisions and all that, it comes out of who you think you are. Mm. It comes out of those three universal fears, the fear of not belonging, the fear of not being good enough, and the fear of not being loved. So everything that you do comes out of your personal leadership. So I think it's dramatic. Uh, you know, it's it's super crucial, important that people work on those skills. Yeah, very, very good. And, and understanding those, the emotional and social intelligence is, is so powerful, uh, which is great. And I could continue going really deep on this for a very, very long time. 
Uh, we're coming to the end of the today's show, but a couple of questions first. Now, we all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I've heard you ask this many times, right? And I, uh, I, I already prepared what I was going to say. Because if I look at it just in the sense of doing something different, I would struggle, and that's a very emotive, strong word, uh, to think of something because I pretty much do the same thing all the time over the last few years. However, the way I look at the world and the way I look at my life, I do something different every day because I wake up every day with a new day and an opportunity to be different. And out of that opportunity to be different and working with different people, someone that I haven't met before, I've never done a podcast with you before. So I've just done something new for the first time. That is a podcast with Craig Johns. So I hope that answers your question, but I like to look at it that way because otherwise I'm, I could look at it in a negative way and go, hmm, good question. Perhaps I should get a hobby or perhaps I should do something different to define me. And I know you weren't saying that, but this is, this is, this is the challenge. So I, hopefully I didn't go too deep there on a very simple question, but do you understand what I'm saying? No, it's very, very good. Uh, it's very good. I'm not going to. I'm not going to delve into the psychology of that question, <laughs> but I'll leave it at that one. Um, what is the one question that you would love to solve? Who am I? Ooh. Awesome. I love that. I love it. I love that question. Uh, Actually, can I change it? Yes, you can. Go for it. Who am I becoming? Oh, even better. Very good. Who is an inspiring, great leader you look up to? Yeah, there's many. Um, and, I, and I'm going to say this confidently, not arrogantly, because I know it will serve. And I know if everyone, you know, if someone came to the end of the podcast, just listen to this, they're going to think, who is this guy? But filtering it through everything we've talked about, me. And the reason I say that is that I'm humble, I'm teachable. I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I'm on a constant journey of imperfection. And the reason I want myself to hear that is that it's my role to inspire me. Mm. It's my role to guide and direct me. And yes, I've got plenty of people that I could name. And I, another reason why I probably... Uh, took this road is it would be difficult to single them out because there's so many mm -hmm. but i want to recognize myself as being the most inspirational leader because i believe that's what every single one of us need to have is confidence in our own ability to be who we need to be and to lead us through life yeah which is great and it's definitely not arrogance because arrogance is is that you're better than someone else and that yeah. their opinion or who they are doesn't matter, um, So, which, which is great. Uh, it's been a fascinating, fascinating conversation and I'm sure there's people out there listening who would love to learn more about you. So how can people learn uh, more about you and what is the best way for people to connect with you? 
Well, obviously, these people are listening to podcasts. So I have a podcast called The People Builder. So if you look that up, it's on Apple and Spotify and everything else. Um, and there's an opportunity there depending on, you know, what else you want to look at. You could, It'll lead you to my website or, or what have you. But I think The People Builder podcast is the best place for them to go. Beautiful. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Grant. Um, you know, from being really vulnerable around your childhood and the meaning you made up around your mum placing you on the doorstep of someone else's house and and being able to discover that, even though it may have taken 30 years, but being able to discover what her meaning of that was and then being able to make sense of that and be able to let go um, to a certain extent. I suppose you let go, it's still there, but you've been able to let go and reframe what that means and allow yourself to be you and know that when certain emotions come up, how you can deal with those because they're not going to go away. Like They, they will always be there and it shapes who you are and, and how you can be a father, a human being, and it keeps you accountable in a way because it means, look, I need to be in touch with myself in this present moment, which is that emotional intelligence and understanding what's going on. So we do have these things, you know, these little voices in our head. They may be annoying to us sometimes. They may be a big distraction. They may be negative sometimes, but they're there for a purpose. And we need to acknowledge those things. And I think that was something that really came through in this conversation and are grateful that you were able to share that. Uh, I love the way that you uh, spoke about, you know, what happened with, you know, the big disruption with COVID. And, you know, I, I remember having conversations with you and seeing you through that time and seeing you trying to figure certain things out. And, uh, you know, for me, it's great to see that you have been able to differentiate or, or or how would you do that different now? Because the world has changed. The world does things differently. So how do we uh, shift the way that we do something? And I think a lot of people uh, you know, are going, okay, how do we go back to life before? Well, no, life before does not exist anymore. It's different now. So how do you do things differently? And uh, I think that's the biggest lesson that COVID taught us was don't hold on to what you had because you are evolving every single day what you have evolves every single day and there are going to be instances in life that speed that process up so thank you for your time today really really appreciate it and uh, i look forward to listening to a few more episodes of your podcast and for everyone out there make sure you check out the people builders podcast but grant thank you very much for your time today we really appreciate it and grateful for what you're doing in this world thank you craig thanks for having me it's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.